can I be near to God? Uh, I think everyone in this room has thought about this question because I think that everyone on this planet has thought about this question. And today, uh, just right now, would you say, I am near to God? Or, or would you say, I am not near to God? Or, or would you say, I am near to God on my good days, but I am not near to God on my bad days? Well, the Bible gives us three unexpected answers to this question of how can I be near to God? Uh, today we're going to consider those three answers to the question, uh, and we're going to do so by considering the first half of Ephesians chapter 2. So if you would, please find in your Bibles Ephesians chapter 2. If you are using the black Bible that's there on the floor, um, Ephesians chapter 2 is on page 976. And in these words, the Holy Spirit, uh, through the Apostle Paul, addresses God's people in the city of Ephesus. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2. I'll start in verse 1 and we'll read down to verse 13. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11 Therefore, remember that at one time 
you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. So how can I be near to God? Well, here's the Bible's first surprising answer to our question which is that I am unable to make myself near to God. I I do not have the ability to make myself near to God. Look back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The scripture says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Just like men and women in Ephesus, you and I were born dead in trespasses and sins. We not, not just spiritually weak, not just spiritually handicapped, but spiritually dead, spiritually lifeless. And that means that we lack the ability to do the things that are spiritually pleasing to God. That means we were powerless when it came to doing things that please God. And this truth that all humans are born spiritually dead is, of course, declared elsewhere in the Bible. And Paul repeats it just a few verses later in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Paul repeats this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, where he writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. See, I I am unable to make myself near to God because my sin makes me unable to please God. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, we hear this truth expressed in this way. Listen, Paul Paul wrote there in Romans 8, 7 and 8, Because we are spiritually lifeless at birth, we do not submit to God's law, and we cannot do what God requires of us. And so the apostle apostle concludes, we cannot please God. We, We don't have the power to please God. And look, the Lord Jesus Christ alluded to man's spiritual inability in John chapter 6, verse 44. That's where Jesus said, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, now, now notice something, though. That phrase, draws him, that is much stronger than just invite him. 
That phrase draws him. That's the same word that the Greek language used when fishermen were pulling a net loaded with fish into their boat. The fishermen weren't going, come on, net. I invite you, fish, jump in the boat. That that wasn't what they were doing, right? They were putting force and they were overcoming the stubbornness of the fish in the net and they were pulling it into the boat. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And you know, the proof that we are all born spiritually lifeless is that we all lived this way, didn't we? That's what Paul wrote in verses 2 and 3 here in Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 2 and 3. Paul writes, In which you once walked, which means in which you once lived or the way you once behaved, in which you once walked following the course of this world. That phrase, the course of this world, means the habits of this world the practices of this world in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. The men and women in Ephesus were unable to make themselves near to God. And this is why verses 8 and 9 say that some of the Ephesians became Christians due to the Lord Jesus Christ's uncaused grace. Look at verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. Of course it wasn't their own doing. They were spiritually dead, right? They were spiritually dead. They couldn't do any doing. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Look, it had to be an unearned gift from God. Because they were spiritually lifeless. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Do you see how how that when the Ephesian Christians got saved. It was impossible for it to be a result of works. Because they did not have the spiritual ability to do the works that were pleasing to God. And and in particular, they did not have the spiritual ability to pay for their sins. The Bible never says that our good behavior or our praying or our religious feelings erase our sins. In fact, the Bible says that our good conduct does not pay for our sins. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, 
verse 12 says it before these Christians had been, before these Christians' sins had been extinguished by the blood of Christ, before their sins had been removed and forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross, they were, what does verse 12 say? They were separated from Christ. Verse 12 says they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So they were cut off from God's people. Verse 12 says they were strangers to the the covenants of promise. Verse 12 says they were having no hope and without God in the world. And why had these Ephesian Christians formerly been in this condition? Because their sins were not paid for. Which is why Paul follows verse 12 with verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. So how are Christians brought near to God? The blood of Christ pays for all the sins of all God's people. Jesus brings his people near to God. By bearing their sins in his body on the cross. You can almost think of the cross as the God approved altar where the Lamb of God was sacrificed and where Jesus frees us from our sins by his blood. So while I am unable to make myself near to God, Jesus is able. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Amen. Amen. Um, There's a a second unexpected answer to our question. Which is that a Christian is always near to God. If you'll start reading there in verse 11, I'm going to read from verse 11 down to verse 13. We'll see where the apostle says this. Ephesians 2.11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've read verse 13 several times this morning. It's worth reading several times. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near By the blood of Christ. Jesus secured these Ephesian Christians' nearness to God. Notice that verse 13 does not say that Jesus' death secured merely the possibility 
of nearness to God. It doesn't say that. Nor does verse 13 say that Jesus accomplished only the potential of nearness to God. It doesn't say that. Verse 13 says that God's people have been brought near. Listen, have been brought. That's past tense, isn't it? Have been brought. It's something that has already happened in the past. God's people have been brought near. So that all of God's people today are currently near to God. You know, at the very beginning of this message, I ask you, are, are you near to God? Or are you far from God? Or do you feel near to God on your good days and far from God on your bad days? Well, look, verse 13 establishes that if you are regenerated by the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are near to God. Right now. Not, not only is it a fact that every Christian is near to God, but every Christian is always near to God. So, so have you been justified by grace alone through faith alone? And if the answer is yes, then you once were far off, but now have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. He's not far from you. He's never far from you because he's always near to you. Now, surely, surely some will protest at this point. But but I sometimes don't feel near to God. Sometimes I feel far away from God. Okay, but just because you do not feel near to God, that does not mean you are far away from God. Let me say that again. Just because you do not feel near to God, that does not mean that you're far away from God. If you're a Christian, verse 13 is just a fact, regardless of what you feel. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's a fact whether you feel it or not. Um, you know, I, every time I look at this verse, I think this is kind of similar to what happens when a Michigan pond freezes over and the ice is 12 inches thick. And then you have some native from Florida who's unfamiliar with long, cold winters and the Floridian does not feel like the ice is thick enough to support him if he walks out on the frozen pond. Well, look, the fact of the matter is if the ice is 12 inches thick, that ice will hold up a car, okay? Okay. A Floridian may still feel like the ice will not support him. But his feeling has nothing to do with how much weight can be supported by 12 inches of ice. Regardless of how he feels, that ice will certainly support him. Look, the fact is that regardless of how you feel, if you have been regenerated, then in Christ Jesus, 
you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here's what that means. It means a Christian on his most spiritual day is near to God. And a Christian on his least spiritual day is still near to God. When a Christian is happy and listening to his favorite worship music and everything is going right, he is near to God. And when a Christian is discouraged and misses daily devotional time and got into an argument with someone in his family, he is still near to God. Look, the truth here is that for a Christian, God's presence is an unchanging truth. It's not a changing feeling. Now, there is a different issue that we should discuss. It's a related issue, but it's a different one. And that is this. Don't Christians sometimes feel nearness to God? And the answer is yes. Uh, This is what Christians um, in previous eras called the sensible presence of Christ. Okay. And that phrase, the sensible presence of Christ, and that phrase, the word sensible means I can sense Christ's presence. Now, in my opinion, it's unfortunate that we rarely use the phrase the sensible presence of Christ today. In the past, Christians used that phrase because they insisted on affirming the Bible's declaration that all Christians always enjoy the presence of Christ all the time. And indeed, God often blesses his people by causing them to sense or experience his presence. But no Christian always enjoys the sensible presence of Christ. If, if you're not experiencing the sensible presence of Christ, it's not necessarily because you are sinning or because you lack faith. Um, maybe, now it's true that maybe you don't sense Christ's presence because you're disobeying him. Maybe. But look, often God withholds the Christian's sensing of his presence. You say, well, why would God do that? So that we can become mature Christians who walk by faith and not by sight, not by feelings. So that we can learn to be faithful and will trust God even when we do not sense his presence. Look, surely healthy Christians do not make their obedience to Jesus contingent on whether or not they feel close to him. Uh, But to be sure, God often blesses his people by causing them to sense or experience his presence. So 
So what can Christians do to experience the sensible presence of Christ? Well, I mean, the Bible indicates that there are many ways that you can draw near to God and find intimacy with him. Um, I mean, you can pray. And as you're praying, express gratitude to God and worship God. And Or when you read God's word, you can listen expectantly for God's voice as the Holy Spirit makes God's word real to you. And, or or, or you, you can read a good Christian book. I remember early in my Christian life, J.I. Packer's famous book, Knowing God, was a book that God often used to um, make his, his, to enable me to kind of sense his presence. But, but this isn't a secret, right? I mean, I think we all know a few ways to make James 4, 8 happen. James 4, 8 says that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us, right? But in our remaining time, I want to highlight one surefire way to experience the sensible presence of Christ. And I'm focusing on this way because it's the way suggested by Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. And what's surprising here is that when it comes to Jesus' sensible presence, the way down is the way up. Let me explain what I mean by that. The way down is the way up. When you live day to day in the reality that in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When you live like that, you know you are always in the presence of God. So you know God always sees you. You know God sees your health concerns, your finances and bills, your family and job issues. You know that God sees your behavior, how you interact with your spouse, how you act toward your children and your coworkers. You know that God sees your thoughts, your motives, your attitudes. You know that God knows what you do when no one is looking. God God not only knows what you do, God knows what you would do if you knew you could get away with it and no one would catch you. When you know you are always near to God, then you know that God sees your sin. And God sees all your sin. And yes, if if you're a Christian, then all your sins were paid for by Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. 
But if you are a real Christian, you still feel bad when you commit new sins. Because if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has made you spiritually sensitive to sin. And as you mature as a Christian, God's holiness becomes more and more beautiful. And so your own sin becomes more and more disgusting. And you feel bad for sinning when you're selfish, when you're unkind. When you deceive someone. When you hurt someone with your words. It is true that Christians sin less and less as they mature. But they also feel the ugliness of their sin more and more as they mature. And if you're a Christian, when you feel bad about your sin, you run to Jesus. You find some way to grab onto Jesus by faith. Because Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you are exposed as a repeat sinner, a serial sinner, and you hate your sin like God hates it, you lay hold of the risen Christ with your faith. You apprehend him and you clutch him close to you. Sometimes I feel like I'm just barely hanging onto his ankles, but I hold him tight. And you know what happens? You find Jesus to be sweet, don't you? You find Jesus to be kind and gentle. And when your sin makes you run to Jesus, you find Jesus to be the one person who understands you perfectly and is quick to forgive you nonetheless. When that happens, Christ appears so valuable to you Jesus appears so beautiful to you. And you cling to Jesus because he alone is the lover of your soul. He alone washes you and makes you clean. And your love for Jesus intensifies. And you grow nearer to Jesus. And you experience in a fresh way the sensible presence of Christ. This is, after all, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 7. This was um, the story that Tim White read for us earlier. Jesus was dining at the home of a man named Simon. An immoral woman showed up. The sinful woman poured ointment on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, her tears, 
Simon's critical of the whole scene. And Jesus tells Simon a parable. The main point of the parable being that Simon thought he was pretty good and did not need Jesus' forgiveness. But the immoral woman was painfully aware of her sinfulness. And she was overwhelmed with gratitude for the forgiveness that Jesus offered. And Jesus concludes that story by articulating a principle. People who are forgiven much will love Jesus much. But people who are forgiven little will love Jesus little. In other words, a person's love for Jesus is related to how much he values Jesus' forgiveness. The more you feel the evilness of your own sin, the more you'll value the forgiveness secured by Jesus on the cross. That's what Christians have meant when they have said, the way down is the way up. The way to love Jesus more, the way to appreciate Jesus more, is to deal with your sin more thoroughly. And when we are honest about our sins, when we think about our sins the same way that God thinks about them, when we hate our sins in the same way that Jesus hates sin, hey, this is the way down. But when that happens, Jesus becomes newly precious to you. That's the way up. The risen Christ becomes freshly valuable to you. And that leads to the sensible presence of Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus Christ, you are high and holy, and yet you are also meek and lowly. And you have brought us to this valley of vision where we live in the depths, but we see you in the heights. Uh, this, this valley, we are hemmed in by mountains of sin. But we look up and we see you in your glory. So please teach us, Jesus, that the way down is the way up. Please teach us uh, that, that to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit 
is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. Thank you, God, for being rich in mercy. Oh, thank you, God, for your great love with which you loved us. So that even when we were dead in our trespasses, you made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Thank you, God, because you have raised up your people with Jesus. And you have seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, you will show the immeasurable riches of your grace in kindness toward all your people who are united to Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Amen.